You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. That our lives would be transformed by the truth of your Word. Grant us understanding. Grant us inclination to respond to what you show us. Have your way in our midst. I'm I'm praying for breakthrough. We ask and pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. The term beatitude comes from the Latin word for blessed. And in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us eight blessings. Now the word blessed here that Jesus repeats means more than just happy. Sometimes you see this word translated happy. It means more than that. It speaks of favorable circumstances. It speaks of a deep inner satisfaction. And Jesus wants us to understand that this type of satisfaction... This type of happiness or joy comes when we exhibit certain characteristics. And those characteristics are listed here throughout this introduction. D.A. Carson calls these characteristics the norms of the kingdom. In other words, these are characteristics that kingdom citizens ought to exemplify. And so... I've given you a one-sentence summary of the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are characteristics of kingdom citizens that lead to true fulfillment in life. If you want to experience the blessed life, the fulfilled life, the satisfied life, then these characteristics need to be growing in your life in an ever-increasing way. And we've made it to the fourth beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now to study this verse, four questions emerged that I believe you and I need to understand and answer if we're going to understand what this beatitude is all about. The first question is pretty straightforward. What does righteousness mean in this passage? Because Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for something specific. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What does this word righteousness mean? Well, it's used in two major ways in the New Testament. The first way the word righteousness is used is to speak of a gift from God. God. You see, when Jesus left heaven and took on human flesh of the womb of the Virgin Mary, he was coming to this earth and taking on humanity so he could live his life perfectly in our stead and then go and die for our imperfection. 
Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. He lived on this earth for about 33 years. And he was the lamb without blemish. He never sinned. Think about that. He never He never thought a wrong thought. He never said a wrong word. He never had a wrong attitude or motivation. He never performed a wrong action. He was perfect. And then Jesus, because of his love for us, went to the cross and died for our imperfection because we've all blown it. Think about it like this. When it comes to the test of life, you could write on the top of my test a big F. I have failed, and so have you. But when it came to the test of life for Jesus, Jesus made a perfect score. He never failed. And so Jesus went to the cross to take the penalty for our failure. And here's what happened. At the moment of conversion, if you're a Christian, when you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, for me that was when I was nine years of age, when that happened, at that moment... The death of Jesus for your sin was applied to your spiritual account and the blood of Jesus washed your sins away. You were were forgiven of everything you've ever done wrong, everything you ever will do wrong. Complete, total forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. We just sang that earlier. You were forgiven. Jesus took your sin. But not only were you forgiven at the moment of conversion, Jesus gave you his perfect score. He gave you his perfect life as a gift. He robed you in his righteousness. So now you have a perfect standing before the Father because your sins have been washed away and you've been given the perfect righteousness of his Son. That's your position before God. So theologians call this righteousness alien righteousness or foreign righteousness. It's not ours. Or they call it imputed righteousness. It was righteousness given to us, not a righteousness we have lived out. So that's righteousness as a a gift. And this righteousness is referred to in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. Let me read this passage to you. I love this passage. Paul writes, Whatever gain I had, he's talking about his spiritual resume, his external righteousness that he tried to earn. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. In other words, I'm not trying to earn my salvation. I can't do that. I'm accepting the salvation that Jesus gives. And he goes on to say that I may be found in him. Listen. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. So at the moment of conversion, God gives you the righteousness of his son as a gift. You are robed in his righteousness. That's good news, right? That's what happens when you're saved. And so that's one of the ways that that word is used But there's another way the word righteousness is used. Not only is it used as a gift or to speak of a gift, it's used to speak of a goal. It's used to speak of the goal of the Christian life. In other words, when you become a Christian, your sins are forgiven and you have a right standing with God. You're robed in the righteousness of Christ. Now as a Christian, 
You want your practical day-to-day living to come into greater conformity with your position before God. In other words, because you've been called righteous by God, because you have the righteousness of Christ, you want to live a righteous life. You want to look more and more like Jesus. So when we speak of righteousness as a goal, we're speaking of ethical conduct in conformity to God's standards. The the practice of righteousness. So when Jesus says here, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, is he talking about the gift of righteousness that we get at conversion? Or is he talking about The goal of righteousness, as a Christian trying to live a more righteous life, to look more like Jesus. Well, I believe here in this passage, Jesus is talking about the goal. He's talking about practical righteousness. And the reason I believe that is because that's how this word is used throughout Matthew. And how it's used throughout the Sermon on the Mount. For example, look what it says in chapter 5, 5 verse 10. We'll get to this beatitude in a few weeks. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. They're persecuted because they're seeking to live for Jesus. He's speaking there of people living righteous lives. And look what it says in chapter 5, verse 20. I tell you, Jesus says, unless your righteousness, your your behavior, your lifestyle, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, you're not good enough to be saved. You need help. You need a, a savior. But he's speaking there of a righteous life. And then look what it says in chapter 6, verse 1 of the Sermon on the Mount. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. He's speaking there of doing righteous things, obeying God. That's what he's talking about, the practice of righteousness. And then, I love chapter 6, verse 33, look what it says. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. As a Christian, seek God and seek to live for God. Seek to do the right thing, and God will take care of the details of your life. And so, throughout the book of Matthew, and certainly in the Sermon on the Mount... Righteousness is used to speak of the goal of the Christian life, not the gift that we get at the moment of salvation. And so if you look there in your notes, in this passage, righteousness speaks of godly conduct as one seeks to live according to his standards. Let me say it again. In this passage, righteousness speaks of godly conduct as one seeks to live according to his standards. Now just a quick word about righteousness in the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, righteousness is external and internal. External and internal. In fact, he condemns the religious leaders who thought they were very righteous because they were doing all the right things. They were giving alms to the poor. They were praying very long public prayers that were filled with with very uh, uh, pietistic language. They would pray these beautiful prayers. They would fast and they'd walk around with their hair uncombed and their face unwashed so everybody could see how they were fasting for the Lord. And all the things they were doing were meant to impress those who were watching 
But Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you think you're righteous because you've never killed anyone. But what about your heart, Jesus says? Do you hate anybody? Is there hatred in your heart towards another person? If there is, that's murder in your heart. And he goes on to list several areas of of not just external righteousness, but internal righteousness. So when when it comes to the goal of the Christian life, seeking to live in a way that, that is godly, seeking to live according to his standards, we're not just talking about impressing each other by doing the right things. We're talking about a righteousness that starts in the heart and overflows through our actions. Did you know you can sit here in church... And you can do all the right stuff. You can amen when it's time to amen. You can can put your money in the uh, boxes out in the lobbies. You can stand and sing with a big smile on your face. And your heart can be far from the Lord. You can impress others with your external righteous behavior. And everybody thinks you got it going on. But on the inside, you're a mess. Because your righteousness is is not starting in the heart, it's not internal righteousness. It's not an attitude that is, is, is desiring to please the Lord. So what does righteousness mean in this passage? It means godly conduct. Seeking to live according to His standards. It says there in verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, doing the right thing, living the right way, living for the glory of God. Which leads to the second question. Okay, Pastor Wade, what does it mean to hunger and thirst after righteousness? Well, simple answer to that question is this. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to have a strong desire for righteousness. A strong desire, a spiritual appetite. Hunger and thirst for, he says... Righteousness. Now, this speaks of spiritual desire. And certainly, this means that it is a desire that is intense. He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. The picture here is of starvation and intense thirst. And it, this is hard for us to relate to in, in our culture. Uh, probably a, a small number of people in this room have ever experienced starvation or intense thirst. Maybe some, but probably very, very few because of the culture in which we live. But here's what we understand. If you are starving, I mean, if you are really needing food for survival, all you can think about is what? Food. And if you're really thirsty... I mean, you have an intense thirst. I mean, you need hydration to, to, to survive. All you can think about is water, right? And so that's the idea here. If you're hungering and thirsting after righteousness, all you can think about is righteousness. Righteousness preoccupies your thoughts. 
Righteousness is at the, the, the front of your heart, in the front of your mind. Righteousness is the primary focus of your life, the, the dominant concern in your life. That's what it means to hunger and thirst after righteousness. How many in here would say, Pastor Wade, I want to be righteous. I want to, I want to follow Jesus and obey the Lord. I want to grow in, in, in looking more like Jesus. And it's all I can think about. I can't get righteousness off my mind. How many would say that? Probably not very many of us. Because we get so inundated with other things that steal our focus. And instead of righteousness being the primary concern of our lives, we're not thinking about it very much. But Jesus says, blessing comes when you hunger and thirst. After righteousness, it's a, it's a desire that is intense. James Montgomery Boyce writes this, How quickly these words pierce to the spiritual heart of a man. And how quickly do they separate, listen, real spiritual hunger from mere sentimentality and vaguely religious feeling. This morning, some of you have kind of a vague religious feeling. But you're not desperate for righteousness. And Jesus says the blessing comes when you hunger and thirst after righteousness. It's the primary dominant concern of your life. It's a desire that is intense. It's a desire that is consistent Notice in verse 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That word hunger and that word thirst, both of those words are present tense participles. And the present tense indicates that this is to be a continual reality. Not just, hey, I got motivated on Sunday when I heard the sermon or heard the song, so I'm going I'm to live for Jesus this week. And then by Tuesday, you've forgotten about that feeling. This is a consistent reality. If you are hungering and thirsting after righteousness like Jesus calls us to do, it means it is a, it is a Sunday thing. It's a Monday thing. It's a Tuesday and Wednesday thing. It, it, it's true on Thursday and Friday and Saturday too, and it starts all over again the next week. It's a consistent hunger and thirst to grow in, into conformity with God's Word and God's Will. John Stott says there's perhaps no greater secret of progress in the Christian, in Christian living than a healthy, hearty, spiritual appetite. And so I'm praying that as I preach this morning, what the Holy Spirit will do is make you hungry and make you thirsty spiritually for righteousness. Intense desire. Consistent desire, which leads to the third question. Well, how, how do we strengthen our desire for righteousness? And how can I practically respond to this verse? If I want to be hungrier and thirstier for righteousness, is there anything I can do to pursue that in my life? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because I've got four Answers to that question. How do you strengthen your desire for righteousness? Answer number one. 
Remove things that make you lose your appetite. Remove things that make you lose your spiritual appetite. Now I told you last week that I believe the Beatitudes are interconnected. They relate to one another. And I believe they build on one another. So let's back up three Beatitudes. And remember the first Beatitude? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Spiritual poverty. Understanding that you bring nothing to the table, spiritually speaking. You have sinned and fallen short and you need a Savior. You need grace. And then we talked about mourning. Blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. In other words, when you recognize the, the, the reality of sin in your life, when you see the effects of sin in your life and the lives of others, there's a mourning, a brokenness that comes, but God comforts you with His forgiveness and His salvation and the promise of heaven. And then based upon your poverty and your mourning, you come to a place of meekness. I'm a product of grace. I am what I am because God has been good to me, not because I have earned a standing before God or because I'm doing better than other people. I'm a product of grace. When you have that mindset, you'll be meek towards others and surrendered toward the Lord, gentle in your relationships. And then comes this next beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. In other words, when you realize you're a sinner that brings nothing to the table and you realize God has been gracious to save you and comfort you in that, when you realize that God is God and you need Him every day of your life, you'll have this inner compulsion, this desire to want to please Him, to live a righteous life, to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And so that means if you're going to be, be hungry and thirsty for righteousness, it means that you need to get some spiritual junk food out of your life. Right? My wife is always so conscientious that if she's cooking, you know, a good, home-cooked, healthy meal that, that our kids and her husband don't, don't eat junk food beforehand so that, so that we'll have an appetite for what's best for us, for things that are healthy, right? It's like, wait, put down the golden Oreos. Dinner's almost ready. I mean, I, you know... So I, so I get it. But we all have that tendency spiritually, don't we? We know things that are best for us. We know things we ought to hunger and thirst after. But we fill up our soul with a bunch of junk food, don't we? And we wonder why we have no appetite for that which is best and healthiest and most nourishing. Are there some things in your life that are spiritual junk food? Worldly junk food that's got you so full of stuff that you really don't have an appetite for the things of God. If that's true in your life, and maybe the Holy Spirit's showing you some things right now, get it out of your life. Remove it from the place of priority in your life so righteousness can have the priority in your life. Remove things that make you lose your appetite. All of us in this room... There are things in here that diminish our love for Jesus. And if those things are reality in your life, a growing reality in your life, deal with them. Get them out of your life. Number two, make the Bible a priority. Make the Bible a priority. 2 Timothy 3.16 
says the Word of God is profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for correction. Listen, for training in righteousness. How do we know what a righteous life looks like? How do we know what God's standards are for our lives? We find those standards in the Word of God. So you simply will not hunger and thirst for righteousness if you don't have a regular, consistent intake of the Scriptures. It's not going to happen. For some of you, that's why you're not hungry. That's why your spiritual hunger and spiritual thirst are, are dull, because you're not reading the Bible. The Bible is profitable. It'll show you how to live in a righteous way. It'll show you pitfalls to avoid and principles that we ought to build into our lives and and, and commands that we ought to obey. We need the Word of God. And making the Bible a priority will cause you to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Number three, and this is so important. Hang around people that will encourage you. Over in Hebrews chapter 10, the Bible says that we need folks around us who will spur us on to love and good works. That we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some. We need to get together more and more as we see the day drawing near. We need each other. We need, listen, we need some spiritual cheerleaders. Amen? I watched... Several football games yesterday. And every game I watched, the stands were absolutely full of folks cheering on the teams on the field. Screaming at the top of their lungs. Some of them with their bodies painted. Making a lot of noise. Exuberant. Excited. The Bible says you and I need some cheerleaders. And and listen, church is our Super Bowl. We get together week after week after week to cheer each other on, to love and to good works. Hang around people that will encourage you. You've discovered, haven't you, that you can find some folks that will discourage you? You discovered that? You can, you, can, you can avail yourselves to people who will not encourage you spiritually. They'll drag you in the wrong direction. Have you figured that out? That's why the book of Proverbs says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. We need folks around us that encourage us. And then fourth, we need to realize that righteousness pleases and glorifies God. There's a promise attached to this beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, for they shall be satisfied. God will meet them at the point of their hunger and thirst with filling, with satisfaction. In other words, God responds favorably to our lives when we hunger and thirst after righteousness. That must mean that God is pleased by us Pursuing righteousness. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to put a smile on the face of God? You know, it's possible to grieve God. It says over in Ephesians 4 verse 30 that, 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 that many grieve the Spirit of God. It's possible to grieve God. Do you want to grieve God or do you want to put a smile on His face? 
the way you please and honor God, who's done so much for you and so much for me, is by taking His Word seriously. By saying, God, I want to live in a way that honors you. And we keep that idea first and foremost in our minds, realizing that righteousness pleases God. It will motivate us to keep on keeping on. Which brings us to the fourth question. We've asked the question, what does righteousness mean in this passage? What does it mean to hunger and thirst after righteousness? How do you strengthen your desire for righteousness? But but fourth and last, here's the, the question I want to pose and then answer from the text. Well, how does God satisfy? What does that mean? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled or they shall be satisfied. How does God do that? What does spiritual satisfaction look like? When we desire righteousness enough that we pursue it, we will be filled with blessings. That word there in verse 6, they shall be satisfied, is the literal word, they shall be filled And that word was used in the first century in an agricultural sense to speak of uh, fodder or grass that was used to feed and fatten cattle. So, So the Bible says just like cattle are fed by hay, fattened up by the hay that they eat, the grass that they eat, you and I are satisfied, we are nourished, By hungering and thirsting after righteousness. God will fill us up with blessing. Now what do these blessings look like? First of all, the blessing of spiritual health. If we're pursuing righteousness, we will be spiritually healthy. Not spiritually malnourished, but spiritually healthy. Over in John chapter 4, Jesus is busy doing ministry in Samaria. And his disciples are worried that Jesus hasn't had anything to eat. They're worried about his physical nourishment, his physical health. They approach him, Jesus, you need to eat something. Jesus says, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. And then he says in John 4.34, My food or my nourishment, listen, is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In other words, Jesus says, when I'm obeying the Father, when I'm pursuing righteousness, when I'm living according to his standards, that nourishes my soul. That brings me to a place of satisfaction. The blessing of spiritual health. But there's also the blessing of deepening fellowship with God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled or they shall be satisfied. When you take God seriously, when you take His Word seriously, guess what? You get more of God. You come to know Him better and experience Him in a deeper, more intimate way. You get more of God. And that's a blessing. R.T. France writes, the ultimate satisfaction of a relationship with God, listen, unclouded by disobedience is chiefly in view. 
See, many in this room this morning, you have a relationship with God. You know that you're saved. You've been born again. But there's some stuff in your life you've not dealt with, some disobedience. You're not pursuing righteousness. And you feel far from God, don't you? You don't, you don't feel close to God. You don't, you don't feel like your relationship with God is, is, is intimate and deepening. You feel far from God. And this verse reminds us, if you'll hunger and thirst after righteousness, pursue righteousness, then you'll experience God in a deeper, more profound way. Deepening fellowship with God. One of my favorite verses in the Old Testament is Psalm 4, verse 3, written by David under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Here's what David says. Listen carefully. Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. In other words, there's a level of intimacy with God that the godly experience and others don't. Don't you want that verse to speak of your life? God sets apart the godly for himself. You get this this deeper insight into the character and nature of God. Deeper communion with the person of God. Deeper appreciation for the gracious work of God. You get to know Him better when you live a godly life. When you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you get closer to Him. And I'm afraid that's a level of intimacy that a lot of Christians never reach. Because they're hungering and thirsting after the wrong stuff. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. God satisfies you with spiritual health and he satisfies you with himself. Knowing him more. When I was doing my doctoral work, I was in a cohort with six other guys. So just seven guys pursuing our degree and... We had some seminars. We'd go to the campus for a week at a time, and, and we would spend a day or two with different professors and different folks in the Christian world. And we had the privilege, uh, one of these seminars, to spend two full days with Robert Coleman. Now, that may, name may not mean much to you, but Robert Coleman uh, is a renowned Christian author. He wrote a little book called The Master Plan of Evangelism, which is one of my favorite books. It is a Christian classic. He served God as a pastor, as a professor in a seminary. He was involved in the, the Asbury revivals of the, of the 70s. Uh, just a, a, a passionate man of God who just, just overflowed with love for Jesus and overflowed with a, with a focus on discipleship, making disciples, obeying the Great Commission. And he's still alive, but at this time, he was in his early 80s. And we were told, hey, this day, you're going to spend all day with Robert Coleman. It'd be the equivalent of getting a bunch of football coaches together and saying, hey, you get 
uh, two full days with Vince Lombardi to talk about football. So in walks Robert Coleman. We got our coffees, our little laptops ready to go, you know. Robert Coleman walks in. And uh, he sat down. He didn't make any small talk. He didn't ask us how our day was going. He just opened his Bible to the book of Revelation and started preaching. I mean, just bringing it. Like, you know, we expected kind of a little devotion at the beginning. But this guy was flat preaching, and his devotion went on for like 20, 25 minutes. So we kind of closed our laptops and scooted him to the side and gave him our attention. And I just saw him exuding a passion for Jesus that was, that was just tangible. And then he said, all right, men, let's pray. And he got up from the desk, he's an older gentleman this time, his 80s, and got down on his knees in this classroom, and we all, ooh, so we all got up, we got on our knees too. And he prayed, I'm not talking about like a, you know, a little introductory prayer, God bless our class today. I mean, he prayed and he prayed and talked about casting your crowns before Jesus and glorifying him. He's wor- worthy as the lamb like we were singing this morning. I mean, he was just praying and crying out to Christ and we're praying with him. And we got up and it's like, that guy, that guy, he hungers and thirsts after righteousness. He wants to obey Jesus. And be used by him. Listen, he was serious about the things of God. Fervent about the things of Christ. While at the same time exuding a joy. Which is hard to even quantify. His countenance was joyful. A radiant face. Robert Coleman is not perfect. He's a sinner in need of a Savior just like I am. But I believe God gave me just a moment of insight to see Matthew 5, 6 lived out. And and to see Psalm 4, 3 lived out. When you're serious about righteousness, when you're serious about godliness, serious about obedience... You experience God in a way that others do not. And it's powerful. And it transforms our lives. And that's why Jesus attaches this hunger and thirst for righteousness to the word blessed. It's blessed when you hunger and thirst for righteousness. You will be. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.